the peak was 85, 86. We released an album called Come Out and Play. We made a couple of strategic errors. We released the wrong single leader of the pack, which was really the biggest mistake. That was mistake one. Mistake two was my singer decided to go to Congress to defend Twisted Sisters' attacks by Tipper Gore. That we were like, you know, destroying morality of America. Rather than keep his mouth shut, he wanted to go to Congress and tell them that we're all straight. He's honest with his wife. He's like a one-man woman. He's a family man. And like, nothing is worse in our reputation than that. You know, that just destroys everything. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was J.J. French. J.J. is co-author of a book titled Twisted Business. However, if you're a rock and roll fan then you might more readily recognize J.J. as the founder and lead guitarist of the iconic rock band Twisted Sister. So J.J. joins me today with his co-author, best-selling business author, Steve Farber. And so we have a really entertaining conversation about the business lessons that J.J. learned during a career that was alternately dotted with amazing success, crushing disappointment, and bouncing back, and then even more success. We dig into the seven principles embodied in the TWISTED acronym in the title, Tenacity, Wisdom, Inspiration, Stability, Trust, Excellence, and Discipline. I love this quote from J.J. in the book, quote, wisdom comes from your ability to study everything you need to know about the business you're in, but it's not just what you know, it's what you don't know, too. Never stop asking questions, always remain curious. So we get into all of this and much, much more in this really fun conversation. But before we get to Jay and Steve, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, well, we'd certainly appreciate if you'd leave us a review and give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. JJ French, Steve Farber, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Ah, pleasure to have you. So, I mean, this this is yeah, after one thousand twenty plus episodes. This is the first time I've had a bona fide rock star on my show. So, JJ, welcome. That's, that's not true. I've been on before. <laughs> no, you're a rock star of a different dimension. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, gotcha. gotcha. A thousand over a thousand shows. Seriously? Yeah, a thousand. Wow. Twenty, twenty-one, that's, something like that's that. So how, how many years has this been going on? Six years. Wow, very impressive. So, yeah, we've we uh, and yeah, we're just <laughs> we're going to continue the string for at least another year. So awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. I get get a chance to meet really interesting, smart people like yourself. So, uh, let's start with JJ, Steve, if you don't mind. Is sure. JJ for people that you know aren't big rock fans like me? Um, Maybe they don't recognize your name. Tell us who you are and what you what you've done and what you do now. Uh, well, my name is JJ French, John French, uh, but JJ professionally. I founded the band Twisted Sister um, forty nine years ago. Next year's our fiftieth yep. anniversary. Um, the band uh, most people. Uh, would probably know the band's name. What yes. would be an interesting thing most people don't realize, I can read off statistics like the band's 50 years old, the band's played, I've done 9,000 performances, the band sold 20 million records, 37 gold and platinum albums, toured 40 countries around the world, blah, blah, blah. The That's interesting all? thing, sorry? That's all? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. that's all we could fit in. All right, week. all right. Um, but the, um, I think the most impressive 
actually, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. The class of 73, in terms of rock bands, mm-hmm. um, Judas Priest, Aerosmith, ACDC, Kiss, Twisted Sister, that's a hell of right. a class of 73. <laughs> that is, and, yeah. And, and, and there were many other bands, but these are the bands, five of us who everybody knows who these bands are. And I think if you said to us in 1973, how long would your band last? The answer would have been five years because that was pretty much the standard answer right. th- that we would give because nobody could possibly foretell, foresee yeah. how Make things a career went. of rock and roll, yep. And, I, and, and in, in, in respect to my fellow monster artists, Aerosmith, Judas Priest, Kiss, um, ACDC, these acts, these four particular acts have probably sold more records than, than us. I'll, I'll freely admit that, Okay. I mean, we've sold 20 million, but I think Kiss is probably at 100 million and maybe Priest is at 40 million and Aerosmith is probably about 80 or 90 million and so on and so forth. So, okay, I'll give them that. However, if you ask a 10-year-old kid today, sing me a Kiss song, he won't know one. If you ask him to (laughs) sing me an Aerosmith song, he won't know one. If you ask him to sing me a Judas Priest song or an ACD song, he won't know one. But if you sing, we're not going to take it, that kid will sing. We're not going to take it. Right. And the key to that is, is that we pivoted our marketing to licensing uh, 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's the, the essence of why I'm a business guy. The essence of really the interest with Steve Farber is, is that um, I approach Twisted Sister as a business, not as necessarily as a rock band. Which, incidentally, when I started, it was just a rock band, and right. I was just a guitar player. But over the years, many things changed. And as the marketplace changed, we became aware that this song, we're not going to take it, and I want to rock, were just unique songs, unique anthems. So, for example, many people know we are the champions, we will rock you, because they're played in every stadium around the world. Everybody right. knows those two songs. Those right. two songs may be the most famous rock anthems of the 70s. I won't argue that. Mm. We're not going to take it. I want to rock are the most popular rock anthems of the 80s. And we have managed to take them, turn them into a licensing juggernaut. And they're in more TV shows, commercials, uh, advertisements than any other songs, which is why people know them and why they should pro- possibly care about why I'm in the business and <laughs> wrote a book with Steve. So I, a question I have is, so did your did your videos for those two songs – you know, does Mark Metcalf pay you like a royalty for extending his career from Beyond Animal House? Uh, it's funny you should mention that because Mark <laughs> Metcalf and, and I, we do uh, celebrity autograph sessions. We've done it in the past. And I said last yeah. time I was with Mark, I said, tell me, uh, is every single day does somebody walk up to you? And he goes, every single, single day, day of my life since 19, <laughs> since April or May of 1984, somebody walks up to me and says, what do you want to do with your life? So uh, listen, there's worse things in this world, you know? Oh, yeah. There's worse things in this world than to not be known for something. I'm sorry. You know, people bitch and moan, oh, woe is me. I'm stuck in whatever. You know, guess what? I'd rather be stuck in whatever than not stuck at all. I mean, hey, there's a country song in that, isn't there? Yeah, Steve? yeah. Well, you know, I'd rather be stuck in whatever than not stuck at all. I like that idea. You know? Well, for people who don't recognize the actor, he he played Niedermeyer on Animal House. So for those of us a certain generation, we remember Niedermeyer first. Yeah. And, and, then- and it was, and by the way, my singer was a stroke of genius that D wanted him in. I mean, D was yeah. we we loved Animal House when we did the video. We had the opportunity. It was unique. Most people do not know this, but here's a really good video tidbit fact: in 1984, the owners of MTV were American Express and Warner Music 
group. Well, I read that in your book, and I was like, I had no idea American yeah. Express. Yeah, and by the, the way, I've been challenged on that by a bunch of professionals, and they look it up and they go, "Oh my God, you're right." So I'm telling you, this is the case. So because we were, our label was a Warner Music label. Mm-hmm. The record company president, when he bragged to me that he'd get the video on, he said, "Do you know who owns MTV?" I thought it was just a bunch of hyperbolic nonsense. Right. One of the reasons why that the video became so ubiquitous was because we were on the label that was a part owner of MTV. And finally, as Steve knows, because it's all about timing, and we missed the boat so many times in the past, we finally caught the ship. You know, <laughs> we finally caught up with the ship. And right. boy, did we catch up with the yeah. ship. Yeah, yeah. So just before we get on to your book, uh, which you've written is is – so I take it from the book, you guys no longer perform. We retired in 2016. 2016, okay. Steve and I met in around 2010-ish. And, and Steve has been you know, egging me on and been my mentor. You know, I, and, and basically, I owe my speaking career to him. And, and the idea of the book, Tim, because the speaking career goes hand in hand with the book. Because mm-hmm. after you do enough speaking gigs, the question's always the same from the buyer, which is, oh, by right. the way, where's your book? You know, that's right. like the second question that comes up. <laughs> and I can finesse my way with, I don't have a book out, but I will eventually, to enough is enough is enough. And finally, after fits and starts and fits and starts and fits and starts, uh, I use the same, um, the same mentality in terms of partnering with someone like Steve that I use with the band, which is mm-hmm. I'm, strong, I'm strong with many things and I'm not strong with other things. That's why I need the guys in Twisted Sister. I need a guy to write the songs and to be the resident dickhead, my singer. You know, you, everybody, <laughs> needs, right? everybody, everybody needs one. And, uh, I love him, you know, but he's a lead singer. End yeah. of story. Yeah, uh, everybody, you've got everybody, good stories in the book about your relationship with, with yeah, G. Yes. And, uh, and everybody needs one and I love him. But, but, but the point is, I couldn't have done this book without Steve because given my own devices, A, the book would never have been finished because I would have written the 19 volumes History of the Jews and Heavy Metal. And it just mm-hmm. would have gone on and on and on. And when Steve, when, when we finally discussed it, I said, you know, I need someone to go shut up already. Like, enough already. Like, let's get down to the important pieces, which is why we have a 200 and some odd page book, which is easy to read. And yeah. people love it. You know, yeah. it's very simple. So, so it, it brought it, it it brought me and Steve closer because we met at a at a social media event, which Steve can go into, and uh, and that's why the book happened finally. All right, so Steve, tell us about meeting JJ. You know, first of all, let me say, if only, if only he had the gift of gab. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> if there's one thing I could change, <laughs> yeah, he's so right about John JJ French is. Yeah. His shy and retiring personality. You got to really draw him out. Um, no, we met. We met at a at a business conference in Chicago, 2010 ish, like he said, and we connected immediately on a, on a couple of different levels. One was, you know, I, I spoke at that event and I, you know, gave an overview of my radical leap framework, which is mm-hmm. love, energy, audacity, and proof. Right. I opened it up for Q and A, and he and I had not met yet. He was pointed out to me across the room. Somebody said, "Hey." That's the that's the twisted sister guy over there, and I remember thinking, oh, that's cool. I I, I was never really a twisted sister fan, <laughs> but <laughs> all right, that's but, it. I'm no. done. I'm out. I'm out of here. I I <laughs> I loved I loved the name. I thought it was the greatest band name yep. ever ever yep. created. So anyway, I opened it up for Q and A. He was the first person to stand up and grab the microphone, and and he said something about you know. 
something about the the nefarious nature of the entertainment business dysfunction in the workplace. Disf- yeah. yeah, that's how it was. Yeah, but that he prefaced it by saying, "I'm in the entertainment business, and that's the most dysfunctional <laughs> business in the world." How do you deal with that kind of a thing? So right. anyway, uh, we connected on that level, and then um, we we sat down for breakfast the next morning, and he told me the Twisted Sisters story. And and within the first few minutes, I I knew that there was this was a remarkable story. Mm-hmm. I mean, for one thing, I th- I think this was, you kind of led with this, JJ, and I, and because it, it, I remember it as being the first thing that kind of hit me between the eyes. He said, yeah, I discovered early on that there's no place for drugs and alcohol in the business of rock and roll. Yeah. And, and Twisted Sister was a completely drug, you know, drug and alcohol-free band. And, that's, and it was like, what? He said, yeah, but we couldn't tell anybody because it would ruin our image. What? Uh, so tell me more. And then he just went on. So, so we connected over that. And then he, he, you know, it came up in conversation that I, I play guitar. So he took out, <laughs> I forget this, he took out his phone. And he started showing me pictures. First, it was a picture of his daughter, Sam. Oh, there's my daughter. One picture. And then <laughs> guitar, 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 guitar. Well, you got to get to the important. <laughs> right, 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 right. Kids are one, like, you One know. picture of the daughter, 100 pictures of his, of his vintage guitar collection. And, of course, it was, it was just, it was wonderful. So, so what happened as a result of that first connection was, uh, you know, I, I said to him, Pretty much right away, you really, you really need to get up on stage and tell your story. You need to be, you know, to be a speaker because you have a great story to tell, and you're a business guy, and there's great lessons in there. And and you know, he's one of the most naturally gifted storytellers I've I've ever met. And of course, as he just said, along with that is, you know, you got to have a book at some point to capture these ideas. Mm-hmm. So the speaking thing came about first. I had an event here in San Diego in 2012 called the Extreme Leadership Summit. It was the first event we ever did. So I said, okay, um, what do you think? Should we make this your speaking debut? And it turns out it it was. And he was fantastic. And And then it took several more years of back and forth to get the book going. But what happened was it became pretty clear that that there, there's a really good book in here somewhere and that it really wasn't going to get done unless he partnered up with somebody to do it. And he tried with a couple of other people or at least one other person didn't quite work. So finally we sat down and said, okay, let's, let's do this together. Right. But, but it's gotta be, you know, it's off brand for me. I mean, it's not, it, it's very different from the other books that I've written, but it's a business book. And, yeah. and I said that, that needs to be a big part of the focus. Um, and then, but let's, let's also tell your story. And to Steve's credit, he had my voice perfectly in the book. So it sounds like me. It doesn't sound like I'm dictating it to right. somebody who's writing my story. It actually right. sounds like me. Like people reading it say to me, this is the greatest compliment I've gotten on the book. It sounds like you're talking to me. Like people who know me, who read the book, go, John, I hear you telling me these stories. And it's one thing to tell them. It's another thing to have somebody interpret your telling them and then write it back so it sounds like Yeah, no, as, as reading it, it, I mean, Steve and I know each other a little bit, and I've read your books, and you've been on the show once before, but yeah, I would not have, I would have thought, okay, this is JJ's voice in the book. Um, for people, this book we're talking about is a book he's written called Twisted Business. Uh, I think it, 
yeah, you've done, I think, a great job of of compressing into a, a relatively short number of pages this incredible story of the arc of your career and and the lessons you've learned, um, and in the context of, well, I mean, I think part of the part I wanted to spend more time talking about was was the first T of tenacity because uh, you've been through so much uh, before you started the band, after the band, you know, great success, bankruptcy, uh, found yourself working. I mean, this is the part that, you know, sort of opened my jaws, working in a stereo store after having experienced <laughs> the heights of rock stardom and then recapturing it again. For, yeah, people you said, glossed for over the fact that I, I managed a pool hall for a year prior to the stereo store. <laughs> okay. And, and, and that was even more humbling. Wait, was Extreme, that in the book? Extreme. I don't recall yeah. the pool. Yeah. Okay. I guess yeah, I missed, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't yeah, recall sure. that part, but it's just like, for a short period of time, I managed a pool hall. And the guy who owned the pool hall was a, a good friend of mine who told, and I needed money. I was broke, broke, broke. I had just finished the bankruptcy. And just just to, to put it like, in context, you're saying broke, 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 finished the bankruptcy. This was after. This yeah. was after I, I, I want to rock and we're, gonna, and I, we're, we're not, not going to take, take another it millions and, of dollars. Yeah, I, and all yeah, that. I mean, I yeah. said this height, is walking. This is walking out of bankruptcy court. The day I walked out of bankruptcy court, I went up to my stepmother's house. I had two subway tokens and a guitar left. She handed me an American Express card with my name on it on her account so I'd have a card. And I went down to the gym that I was working out at. And the owner of the gym had a nephew who was a singer-songwriter who I kind of poo-pooed. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I, I said, hey, man, you want to work with me and manage, and me manage your nephew? I need a job and I need money. And he said, if you agree to, I have, I just bought a pool hall. And if you agree to work overnights, I'll pay you cash every week. And that's, that was it. That was the beginning of the comeback. Pay me $400 cash a week. I managed this kid. His kid happened to be a genius singer songwriter. We got him a record deal within six months, but that's how I survived. And I would, and here's the key. The guy told me that if anybody walks into the pool hall, recognizes you, and says, why are you here at a pool hall at 2 o'clock in the morning? You, are, you can tell them you're an owner. Mm-hmm. You're my partner. That way, you know, I own pool halls. Well, so take us through the arc, though, of, of what, what happened from sort of, said, sort of the peak to the pool hall. What was, what was the triggering well, event? Well, the peak was 85, 86. We released an album called Come Out and Play. We made a, we made a couple of strategic errors. We released the wrong single leader of the pack, which was really the biggest mistake. That was mistake one. Mistake two was my singer decided to go to Congress uh, to to defend uh, Twisted Sisters' attacks by by the by uh, Tipper Gore. Tipper Gore, right? That we yeah. were like you know destroying morality of America. Rather than keep his mouth shut, he wanted to go to Congress and tell them that we're all straight. Well, and just so people you know, of a certain generation don't remember, is back in the eighties at that time. Al Gore's wife, he was vice president. Ran the PMRC. Right. PMRC, Parents Music Resource Center. They decided that music, that that there should be ratings on CDs and albums telling you what you're buying. Right. Because, you know, they should, kids should be forewarned. Parents should know what they're buying. And especially bands like Twisted Sister, because we are the devil incarnate. (laughs) And we obviously must have devil worshiping messages in our music. Okay. Right. So then my singer goes to Congress and testifies 
that, you know, he's totally straight. He's honest with his wife. He's like a one-man woman. As a, he's a family man. And, like, nothing is worse in our reputation than that. You know, that just destroys everything. <laughs> uh, so that was, that, was, that was probably mistake. That was probably big mistake number two. We toured around the country following that, which most people don't know. There were laws passed to keep us out of various cities in the Wait, South. Called, specifically oh, Specifically Twisted to Sister? keep Twisted Sister out of those cities called the anti-rock laws, um, which stated that if you had, if you performed sex with animals, children, or dead people, or you wrote songs about performing sex with animals, uh, children, or dead people, <laughs> you couldn't play in these cities, which of course is amongst the most ridiculous things on the planet. Uh, and so that, of course, then we were arrested for obscenity. Uh, while that was going on. Um, and ultimately, then we followed up an album that didn't do well with another album that didn't do well, and the band closed up. Unfortunately, me and D and the band members signed a personal services agreement with a merchandise company, which we guaranteed uh, paying back the first million-dollar advance in the history of merchandising deals. And we couldn't pay it back. And um, they said, we're going to sue you. And I said, are you suing everybody in the band? And they go, no, just you and D, because we think you guys are the only potential people who could possibly could pay, pay us back. back. Yeah. And so, and so, and at that point, D and I weren't talking to each other, but I found out through his representatives he was going to file for bankruptcy. And then I thought, well, if he does, they're going to come after me. So I'm going to file for bankruptcy, which I did. And, and then, of course, in the book, I, illust- I tell the story of what happened at the bankruptcy hearing mm-hmm. with the bankruptcy judge – uh, in which um, I talked the judge into letting me keep the name Twisted Sister, which I owned, the trademark. Yeah, which was was ballsy and brilliant at the same time. Probably the single greatest speech I ever made in my life. Yeah, off the cuff was that was that speech to the judge. But I, then again, to be fair, or to be fair, um, I talked my way out of two drug arrests as well. <laughs> so you know, it's not like I'm not. It's not like I'm incapable of spinning a good tail and talking my way in and out of all kinds of situations. But I did talk my way out of two drug busts. So I had a confidence I could I could do it. I just want to say, by the way, when Steve and I hooked up in 2010, two years prior to us hooking up, I convinced a t- a documentary filmmaker to do a document to do a to do a documentary on Twisted Sister. Because he was interviewing me for another documentary. And so because I knew that I could do that, I was pretty confident when I told Steve the story because the story has been the story of my life. And I've told it enough times with enough entertainment value that Steve would be compelled to at least go, wow, that's a great story. I mean, you don't know where it goes beyond that. But these – the whole process, this whole process, if I look back at it, it's like playing the long game in life is mm-hmm. really what this is about. This is really playing the the long game in life, you know, making long-term adjustments even if the if the near term is so painful. You know, bankruptcy was painful. The day I walked out of bankruptcy court was one of the most emotionally difficult days of my life. However, because I don't drink and do drugs, I didn't I wasn't compelled to go um muffle my emotional reaction with Mm -hmm. drugs and alcohol, which only create more problems, right? right? So I was going to confront it head on with all the pain that goes with it because that's the only way you get on with it. And as we talk about in the book, because, you know, Steve was able to pull this out of me as we were, 
as I was developing my motivational speaking engagement, mm-hmm. which is why would my story be compelling? W- what lessons are there in my story that people walk away going, wow, that is not just a rock and roll story. That's a life story. That's mm-hmm. a business story. I don't think if my story was just a rock story, it would have interested Steve all that much. I think what Steve loved about it was it's a freaking business story. It's a sur- business survival story, and it's a relationship human being survival story. And that's kind of like – and you, but you needed a guy like Steve to get it because you need someone with enormous amount of empathy and intellectual capacity to grasp the whole, the whole thing because it took right. a while. It took a while to develop. Yeah. At one point, you write in the book is that women so easy at that point when you're managing the pool hall, working in the stereo store after having experienced sort of this peak of success to have felt sorry, you know, for yourself to actually imploded completely, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, where did you find yeah you know, the strength to continue? What was the the motivation? It's, that, it's it's part of my it's, it's part of my being because uh, in the same way as saying why didn't I become a drug addict when I was a drug addict? Why didn't I become a long term drug addict? Because I just didn't because <laughs> I decided not to. It's like saying why did you run a marathon? Because someone bet me a hundred bucks I never ran before, and I decided I'll take on that bet. Mm-hmm. And I trained to run a marathon, which was crazy. Then he said, run it under four hours. I never ran before. Right. And I ran the New York Marathon. You know, so I mean, I, I look, I'm not a superman because there's a million stories of success in this world. I will say, how, however, that I am grateful that the that success did not come when I was 20 years old. Because the success hit when I was 34. And that's a huge difference. You know, when you watch The Voice and you watch American mm-hmm. Idol – you watch those shows, right. and the winners of those shows are basically lottery winners, you know? And they tearfully stand in front of their following on the day they win the big record deal and $100,000, and they give this impassioned speech, which is, I'd like to thank my fans for staying with me for 15 weeks. <laughs> and you basically want to throw up, you know? And you basically, instead of feeling happy for them, I feel sad for them. Yeah. I don't feel happy because I'm thinking you have no right. You know freaking what's coming. idea what is coming. So look, as Steve knows, when I was 11 and the Beatles were on television and I said, that's what I want to do. If somebody at that very moment put his hand on my shoulder and said, you will become a rock and roll star. You'll have a gold record, whatever the hell that means. But you'll have a gold record. That means you're a rock star. And, I'll, and I would go, really? When? Like in three years? And they go, no. 20 years and six months from now, I would have gone, screw that. And I probably would have <laughs> stayed in school. So, um, And by the way, we're 30 years past that. We're 40 yeah. years past that. Right? So, uh, so, it's, it's, so there's no way – that if I'm looking at my 37 golden platinum albums for the sake of bragging, but also to make a point, if I'm looking at them on my wall and I say to myself, wow, what was the price I paid for that? The price I paid for it was enormous, absolutely enormous. Listen, probably the reason why I had atrial fibrillation was because of the stress. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. you know, I mean, we, we, I can't say for sure, but I broke down a couple of times. Because I because it because the stress was absolutely incredible. But you know we talk about stress. Uh, we talk about character in the book, mm-hmm. and character shows itself 
um, unexpectedly. You don't learn character. Character kind of, I believe, shows itself when duress shows up. So it, you don't know what you're capable of until the crap hits the fan. And when the crap hit the fan with Twisted on a number of occasions in my life, I, I responded because I responded. I right. didn't learn it in school. But you also had you – had, you talk about in the book, you know, I think a very unique perspective even for people that are younger – I mean, one is you stress over and over again, something that resonates with me so much is this idea about always remain curious, right? It's, it's, and well, something that is a direct res- about. that's a direct result of my parents. Exactly. I mean, my parents, my parents had me reading the New York times cover to cover starting when I was about 10 years old right? and asking them questions, you know, and then I got cocky, really cocky. I know hard to believe. But I got really cocky and said to myself, you know what, I'm going to be so smart that I don't need a high school education or college education. I will be able to sit in front of anybody and talk about anything at any time. Because if I can sit in front of anybody and talk about anything at any time and start a conversation, I know I will have a leg up on a relationship with that Mm -hmm. person. So it doesn't matter if it's a nuclear proliferation treaty. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it's starvation in India or Pakistan. It doesn't matter if it's the Cold War. It doesn't matter. I mean, I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich when I was eight years old, I believe. Sure. So and then and then my parents were were left wingers and my and my my first guitar teacher was the son of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. I mean, I didn't know who he was. Right. Well, I had didn't different know, last name as you write. I didn't know the significance of that particular little tidbit. It's not a minor tidbit. But something I think you write about and you're just talking about here that resonates, and it's something that I've been writing about recently <laughs> LinkedIn as well. And interest of Steve in your opinion is is you know, you talk about character, you talk about values and things that, that stick with us throughout our lives is the role of parents. You know, people I'm lost often ask me, you know, what's What's the basic root cause of bad salesmanship? And I'll say bad parenting. Because, yeah, people haven't taught how to be a human being, how to connect, how to have a conversation, as JJ <clears throat> talked about, have a conversation right. with anybody in the world. You know, one of the things my parents are really good about is, is putting us out with their friends. So we learned how to have conversations and be interested in people where there's huge status mismatch between us, right? We were kids. They were adults. And I think that's something that really holds you in good place as you go throughout life and your career. Yeah, but here's here's the 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 thing that I, I think we need to make really clear for people. It's one thing to kind of understand where your own proclivities come from, where your strengths and weaknesses come from. It came from my parents, my kids, my upbringing, whatever. You asked you asked JJ, you know, how how did you learn that tenacity? It's just the way I'm built. Yeah, that's true and um it doesn't really do any good for the rest of us. So if you say, well, I'm tenacious because I'm just tenacious. Well, what if I'm not? How do I become tenacious, right? If if that's an important quality. So I think this is a really important distinction to make. The book, the process for the book was, was really, let's look at, let's look at your story JJ, and see if we can extract from that the principles that other people can use in their story, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Because even though, you know, most of us, you know, we have our natural tendencies, that doesn't mean that we're, um, that we're slaves to them. Uh, if we get conscious and intentional, we can be, I could be tenacious, and, and 
understanding what that is and how important that is, I could develop the ability to be even more so. And it's like for me, you know, I, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I, I I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a born optimist. It's I mean it's part of my nature. Um, and I'm still an optimist. When I look around the world today and see the kind of unbelievable dire situation that we're in, I'm still an optimist, but I have to work harder at it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, so so I have I have a natural inclination. But I could still lose that if I don't work at it. And I think that's true for all of us in some way. So these principles that that we illuminate in this in this book, that twisted method, is derived from JJ's experience, but it's applicable in any experience and in any business and in any walk of life, actually. Well, I think the key point you bring up, because yeah, I've just <laughs> In three weeks of my third book is, is being published. And it's the same thing that I emphasize is there's four pillars that enable you to be successful in a sales role if you're intentional about applying them and using them. And it's, it is all about intentionality and being purposeful in terms of what is the experience you're trying to create for the people that you're dealing with. I, I have to say, Steve, you're, you know, you, I take it for granted and you're 100% right. Um, I do because yes, I am tenacious by design, but the whole point of the book is to tell you how to recognize it within yourself. If you don't even recognize that you have it, you may not, someone has to hold it up in front of you. And by the way, none of the principles in the book were held up in front of me as like, you are these things. It wasn't until years later that I looked back at it and the tools that we give you in the book to observe, experience, um, what happens to you in life um, are the tools that I used that eventually got me where I wanted to go, but I had no idea I was doing them at the time I was doing them. You know, I sure. mean, no, well, none whatsoever. Rarely are, right? You know, like you just experience stuff. And like, you know, the day I walked into the scene where the, the drummer, the guitar, the singer had the loaded gun aimed at the drummer's chest and was going to kill him. I'm 22 years old. You know, I'm only processing what I'm about to watch, which is a murder. Mm. I'm not intellectualizing it going, well, John, there's a lesson to be learned here, which is going to be in a book in 40 (laughs) years. And let's make a note of that. It was like, oh my God, you know, like, but what that did was the catalyst of that was that, and this is, and and Steve, you're really a hundred percent right. So what was my reaction to that? My reaction to that, Maureen leaving me and the band breaking up all in the same two week period of time, which traumatized the hell out of me was I started keeping a diary. And the diary became a tool for me surviving future problems. Because Mm -hmm. as I wrote down my mental state and my reaction to the problems that I was being confronted with over time, every time things eventually worked itself out, they they reinforced my ability to work themselves out. And I became confident that I could solve the problem because I became confident that I could solve the problem only because... I solved the problem, whether how I solved it is was irrelevant. The fact was I solved it. All you need is the confidence of doing it. So when the book was, when we were coming up with the book and the decision was, well, what kind of book is it? Is it a memoir? Is it a business book? Is it a memoir? Is it a business book? And this was a question that constantly was coming up as we were developing the book. I felt like that last scene 
in the movie Chinatown. She's my mother. She's <laughs> mother, my sister. sister. She's my mother. mother my sister. sister. <laughs> like, you know, is it a business book? Is it? Um, and I said, well, why can't it be both? Because aren't every business isn't every profile of a businessman a, a really a memoir and a business book? Because it's how they grew up and experienced life is ultimately right. how they did business. So we coined a phrase for marketing purposes, which was bizwar. The idea of the twisted method was a direct result of the speaking engagements. Because when you watch great speakers, and the first speaker I saw was Steve, and I was mm-hmm. blown away. It was like watching Jimi Hendrix play guitar for me. It really was that in- important to my understanding about if that is a world that I'm going to be in, that's the level of, of, of technique and quality you have to be. All these guys... All of them, to Tony Robbins, which everybody knows, they mm-hmm. all have a, quote, presentational gimmick, a shtick right. of sort. You know, I mean, for lack of better phrasing and without being cynical, you have – your performers is what you are. I mean, preachers Absolutely. are performers. 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 Sure. Politicians are performers. Right. What is your shtick? What is your story? So the uh, so I was floundering around with Steve. Doing, I mean, Steve had me on several of extreme leadership conferences, and I, then I started booking my own. And I would be floundering, not floundering around. My story was my story, but I wanted a context. I wanted to be able to compact it all into a presentation. The idea of the twisted method came about because of one of the things I teach in the t- about walking. Exercise is really great for you, mm-hmm. and I've, I've I've done some of my greatest uh, some of the greatest decisions in my life have been made taking long walks. Right. I love taking long walks. It really helps me think. In fact, I just saw an, actually an incredible um, story in CNN. Dr. Sanjay Gupta talked about how walking is more beneficial to preventing Alzheimer's and dementia than running. Seriously. Because they found that running, although it's great for your heart and your lungs, increases the dopamine, which is the exact thing that can block your ability for your mind to protect itself and to become a prophylactic protective against possible dementia. And they have found that walking is actually the best exercise you can do. So in the process of walking one day, the twisted method, I said to myself, how can I make it easy that anybody can understand it? You have to understand Twisted Sister fans, like, you know, we're not Mensa members. Like, it's like, how can you digest it and get it down to something? And with Steve, here's the thing. You go to these, you go to these sessions where Steve does his thing, where you see a lot of these speakers, and everyone starts pulling out PowerPoints. And you can see the eyeballs roll and the eyes glazing. Oh, no, another freaking, oh, God. So how do you make it simple? And the twisted method became the the pathway, then you had to come up with the reasons why each letter mattered. And each letter did matter. As I was peeling it out in my head, I went, wow, I can tell stories related to each one of these that absolutely explain why Twisted Sisters succeeded. And that was a byproduct of the fact that Steve and I had been hammering and hammering and hammering and hammering over time. So Andy, you know, for, for your listeners... I mean, it's it's interesting to hear the story of kind of the process of the book, but but this is what I would encourage people to do, and I've done this with my clients, and I've I've done it in in uh, you know workshops and that kind of a thing. Um, but it works something like this: you you have your own experience, you have your own story, you, which is of course otherwise known as your life. So the process is to look back over the events of your life. And particularly the the things that happened 
the, the things that you experience that stand out as being important for some reason. You may not know mm-hmm. the reason, but the fact that you remember them means that they're important. Right? Mm-hmm. And sure. then, so, so capture those. Now, if, if you kept the diary like JJ did, that makes it a lot easier. But otherwise, just go back and do like a little timeline from the, you know, f- zero to five years old, five to 10 years old, 10 to 15, et cetera. And then look at those, think about those stories, recall those stories, and then ask yourself, what did I learn from those? What did I learn? And see what principles come out of it. That, and then that, that clarity then allows you to say to yourself, oh, this is what works for me. Now, am I being intentional about it in my mm-hmm. life going forward? And is there something here that other people can benefit from? Mm-hmm. So what we did, that, that's exactly what we did with this book. We just started, I, I, sat, I sat him down in his, in his kitchen in New York, turned on the recorder and said, start at day one. And he told me the whole story. And then we transcribed everything. And then, then the question is, what, what are the lessons from this? Which is when the, the twisted method arose. Mm-hmm. And then we went back and said, okay, which of, of these stories Applies serves to, to illustrate yeah. right. those principles? Right. And that became, ended up becoming the structure of the book. Yeah, I mean, you, several things that you're talking about is, is, and I think the one that comes through in the book that's so important and it aligns with the message that, that I'm giving out all the time is that your goal, especially in the sales world, is... Oftentimes, your personal goals at odds, I think, with what oftentimes management wants you to do. And so increasingly, in the sales world, it's about compliance to a process, right? We've got this process. We need you to comply to that process. Instead, as I advocate in the book, is grabbing autonomy and learning how to become the best version of yourself, right? Finding the, finding a way to work based on what you've learned through your career, through your experiences, is going to make you the best possible version of you. And there's a sort of inherent conflict oftentimes, certainly in the sales world, about that. And as individuals, and I think as J.J. personifies in the book and you guys worked in the book, is, yeah, excuse me, no one cares as much about your success as you do, right? No one cares about you the same way that you do. So it's really up to you to seize the reins and, and be resilient and tenacious and have a mentor or multiple mentors, as JJ you talk about in the book, uh, Steve being the the latest among them. Um, to as I said is put your focus on what do I have to do, what do I have to try, what do I have to learn to become this best version of me? Right, exactly. And since we specialize in the entrepreneurial world, mm-hmm. although these practices could work anywhere, but I then had to, I had to then in my mind ask myself this question, why does one become an entrepreneur? doesn't matter what they do. Why do mm-hmm. you do it? And I deduced, this is my own, that you become right. an entrepreneur for one of two reasons. Either you've come up with an idea that nobody in the world knows exists and you are the only one that somehow possesses it and you are willing to risk everything that you own in your life to get the world to know it or you see something that needs to be updated or refined or mm-hmm. presented in a new way that right. the world has not seen, and you're ready to give up and, and, and risk everything in the world to do it. In the mm-hmm. case of Twisted Sister, well, there was a million rock bands that existed before Twisted Sister. But Twisted Sister was created specifically to correct the mistakes of the New York Dolls. I mean, when I thought about this, I went, wow, 
This is perfect for exactly what I'm talking about. I went to see the dolls. I went, man, they look great, and they're the worst band I've ever seen in my life, I've ever heard. And if you come up with a band that looked that good and actually could play, you may have a winning combination. That was the whole catalyst behind Twisted Sister. Because the day I saw the dolls, I was asked... My opinion by a record executive, I walked out of the show. Guy, I mean, I assume I'm 20 years old. A guy like in his late 30s in a suit stopped me uh, on the staircase at the Mercer Arts Center and said, did you just see the show? And I said, yeah. And he goes, what do you, th- what'd you think? So I'm assuming he wanted my opinion. And I went, amazing looking band. They suck. I said, if they ever learn how to play, you're going to have yourself a hit band on your hand. And <laughs> that was they, the. Did they stick around for a long time? Yeah. Listen, I mean, they who's stuck the, around. Who's the they, lead singer, the guy? Yeah, David Johansson. David the Johansson. Dolls, the right. Dolls lasted two years. And, and what I say about the Dolls is no secret. David Johansson has said it about the Dolls. So I don't have yeah. to care about okay. it. But the point <laughs> is, it was, it, was, it was sacrificing everything you had to bring a better idea. Right. But, but all these principles could be used for, for anything. Listen, the, yeah. I, as I say in the book, Tommy James from Tommy James and the Shondells gave me the first piece of advice I ever asked for in the music business, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact. You know, he, uh, you know I, uh, here I am, a 24-year-old kid playing in a band and opening for Tommy James and the Shondells, who were a big deal. Yeah, well, it's sort of interesting to think of the <laughs> a combination of Twisted Sister and Tommy James and the Shondells. I think we're alone that way, uh, Yeah, but I'll get you even weirder. I mean, we opened for little, we opened for little Anthony and the Imperials. We opened for the Coasters, and we 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 opened for a chimpanzee named Mister well, Jiggs, who did better than us, who went over better than us. So I mean, like you know, like forget <laughs> about the examples. But right. I, but but the point was with Tommy James. Here we were playing a corner bar in Long Island to 300 people, which to us that time was the most people we played to. 300 people. That was a great packed night. I'm happy. Tommy James is obviously on the downside of his career, having peaked in the 60s, and now he's stuck playing bars on Long Island for 300 people. And uh, it was D had just joined the band. So it was maybe like a month into D being in the band. and, And we did our show and we finished and I'm walking downstairs. I, I remember this so clearly and Tommy James is walking by me and, and I look at him and I went, Hey man, what a pleasure to meet you. You know, I didn't say, God, it's got to suck for you that you're playing for yeah. like 300 drunk people at like a little <laughs> corner bar. But I just said, can you give me some advice? And he looked at me and he went, yeah, I'll give you some advice. He said, you're going to meet the same people on the way up as you do on the way down. So treat everybody the same way. That was all he said. He didn't say it in a cynical way or condescending way or anything like that. But what he said to me that day, I happened to believe in 100%. Mm-hmm. It was nice to hear somebody successful who had the same feeling because a lot of problems in the music industry and in the entertainment industry is you get screwed, you screw the next generation over because it's like it's like it's like beating your kid you get beaten you beat your kid because you got beaten up that happens over and over and over again in the music business and tommy james was just a a really cool guy and then there were other mentors along the way and when we get to the t for trust in the in the book i tell the story about ronnie altman which is a great story but you know you have to develop a reputation a good reputation Mm -hmm. in the book and i and where steve and i really kind of hit it off was i think steve was stunned at the I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you were stunned at the moral, at the, at the morality of the business that we ran, Steve, as opposed to like whatever sex, drugs, rock and roll, uh, you know, like threats and all the shit that goes with it. There was, right. there was a very strong moral base. 
Yeah, it didn't really fit any of my preconceived notions about what, you know, bad bad boy rockers are mm. supposed to be. Um yeah, and that like I like I said earlier, that's the thing that hooked me in 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 the very beginning was no place for drugs and alcohol in this business. Yeah, so you ran it like a business. Yeah, right? but then as we got deeper into it, you know, just the the and you see this you see this when you hang out with JJ, you see it over and over again. There is a a kindness and a friendliness there that that endears endears him to people uh, because it's genuine and it's, and it comes back to curiosity. He loves mm-hmm. he loves hearing people's stories and right. he's uh, more than willing to share his own and and with anybody and and it's um, it, it's it's a it's a lovely thing to see and it's something that you know that I've believed in as a business person and as a leadership guy for 30 years. It's what I try to get people to understand. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kindness and love and relationship and connection that, that forms the basis for any business, but to see it played out in the business of rock and roll because of the contrast with the stereotype is, is really, it's, 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 it's compelling as hell. It really is. It is. Well, it's a very excellent book. I urge people to pick it up and read it. As um, do we. I'm sure you do. So, hey, by as- the way, but by the way, I, I'm just uh, I, I noticed uh, the the other day, JJ, that that D tweeted about the book. Did you see that? Oh, of course I did. It got th- it got tons and tons. Of course, D tweeted this. He said he tweeted the comment that that we wrote, uh, which was he is a, a narcissistic, self absorbed, selfish. Uh, uh, motherfucker, but he's uh, but he's honest. He's truthful. Uh, he's committed, and he does what he says he's going to do. So I, I gave you the two sides of D. Snyder in equal measure. So D. Right. goes, just read JJ's book. It was great, and he runs the comment. And someone wrote, only somebody who's a narcissistic, self-absorbed, you could say, a motherfucker <laughs> would use that quote to describe his favorite <laughs> yeah, quote right. in the book, which is what I kind of loved as a yeah. Uh, and then D texted me on the side. He goes, man, that was a really great book. But the, the beauty of being able to write that was, and as we illustrate in the book, is we confronted our demons together. And right. we said these things. This wasn't like a revelation and a new revelation to him. No, oh, you talk about your reconciliation that you had after period, long period of estrangement. And yeah, you leveled with each other. So Yeah, yeah and, so, and, and I was happy to write it because I, I said exactly what it is. But so many people wrote back, typical lead singer. Yeah, of course, of course, you know. But, but you know, uh, yeah. it was it was it was gratifying as as the co-author on the book. It was gratifying to see that the guys who are closest to this in a personal way really in, enjoyed the read as well. So that was yeah, because that's that's a tough thing to do is write a book about your bandmates and then have yeah. them yeah. like the book because everyone's expecting the gotchas. You know, where's the gotchas? Look, was every dirty story you know like could possibly be the book? No, and it wasn't the point. That was not the point. Of the book, the yeah. point of the book really was to be a a a, a, a book, a, a business advice book. And the more we did it, the more I felt positive that the choice of getting Steve to do it with me was the absolute right choice. This is the yep. the face. We didn't talk about the music, and you know we're a rock band, but we really didn't. You know, you read these other books; they're more music oriented. This was not. This was an ex- explanation of the other side of. Yeah, yeah, I said. Good read. So if, uh, JJ, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, I have a direct email 
that uh, I do answer, which is Ask JJ, which is J-A-Y-J-A-Y, Ask J-J-T-S, as in Twisted Sister, just the two letters, Ask J-J-T-S at Gmail, and they can email me right away. If they if they want to hire me for uh, speaking engagements, they can do it through that. They can contact me there. I'm in at J.J. French on Twitter. I'm, I'm on Facebook. Twisted Sister's on Facebook. J.J. French is on Facebook. JJFrench.com, J-A-Y-J-A-Y.com. Also, I have a podcast, The J.J. French Connection, which right. new, new episodes every Tuesday. Um, uh, it's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's on Podcast One. It's called the JJ French Connection Beyond the Music, where I have authors, writers, musicians, uh, whole and doctors. You know, very we're, cool. We're, yeah, you got Medical Month. You're talking well, about. Well, we're on that, up, so. of that age where my where my motto is <laughs> sex, prescription, drugs, and rock and roll. Right, that's, right. Our, that's our motto. That's changed. <laughs> and so. Steve, uh, if people want to connect with you. What's the best way to do that? Yes, stevefarber.com is the best the best place to go. I'm I'm also, you know, on all the um all the social media haunts. Um but at stevefarber.com, you can subscribe to the daily audio message uh which I have been getting which tremendous feedback on. Tremendous yeah. feedback. So I, I and if you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe, but give, but That's give right. it a try. Yeah, no, I'm I'm on your list. I get it. So all right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for having us. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, JJ French and Steve Farber, for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.